Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer, and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher. I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster, and Instagram influencer, and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about a future. So Matt, are you going to smash out the bio? Because I want to I get on and start drinking. So, welcome to episode 17 of the Podcrastinators. 14. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's not 14 because 12's missing. No, 10's missing, and there's two 11s. (laughs) (laughs) But then I called the third 11, I called it episode 13, so that means that's 12. No, there is a 13, there's two 11s. So, welcome to a very special episode, two, 10, and no, not episode two. (laughs) Oh my God, I haven't even started drinking yet. I've killed him already. Um, Welcome, this is all getting edited out. Welcome to a very special um, bumper episodes 10 and 12, because we've got to fill in those blanks of the podcastinators. We are delighted to be joined this afternoon on this lockdown Sunday uh, for a few drinks and some chats. Someone who, like naan bread with sweet sparkly sprinkles or the spawn of Jenny from the block and pushing the cat, she's a distinctive individual, Bengali by heritage cultivated in new york city and new zealand's latest greatest import how long have you been here rookie um since christmas 2018 so latest really latest yeah i don't think anybody's come into the country for the last five years have they actually it feels like it does feel like that yeah she's a rainbow black sheep avid traveler serial tinder data by night night assistant director by day and when you say assistant director, I don't normally quiz people on their bios, but yours is a good one. So um, we're going to pull it apart a little bit. So when you say assistant director, like I used to be an assistant director uh, really? years ago in, nice. in the film and TV industry in the UK. Um, what number of assistant director are you? Uh, second and third, depending on the job. Cool. I used to be a third assistant director. Yeah. This is going to take. This is going to take a, a lot of editing. <laughs> oh, I've got a question. I've got a question as well. Why don't you serial Tinder day by day? I mean, I do. <laughs> she works in the movie industry, I'll, right? I was going to say, like, I, I work I work during the day. And if I'm not working, I'm hanging out with friends. I mean, I date during the day as well. Like, do brunch and stuff. Cool. Yeah, yeah of course. And, of course, she's a moonlighting writer and stand-up comedian. You can clock her from a mile away with a glowing Aurora hair, red shiny lips, glittery twinkled eyes, and most likely double parked and chatting away about her hilariously awful dating life. Welcome to the show, Rookie Hawk. Woo! As the Americans say, Rookie Hawk. Is that how they pronounce your name in America? No, it's Rookie Hawk. You're from New York, that's all. I just thought that. Have you known have you nothing about language in Hi, rookie. years or however old you are? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just want to be very clear that um, it would be a bit weird if I'd written that bio, and I don't want people to think that I was trying to slip in some... The the, the comparison with naan bread concerns me a little bit. I don't want people to think that I'm trying to slip in some kind of exoticism <laughs> thing here. Yeah. So, uh, I just want to be clear, I didn't write that. 
But uh, no, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. I understand yeah, you are drinking. Here. I am. Jack and Coke. They say never to mix whiskey and Jack is not a whiskey. So that's fine. Darren, what are you drinking? I have mixed a whiskey and it's not Jack. It's actually a 12-year-old Glen Morangie. What have but you mixed it with, you heathen? I have mixed it with Carlua and Bailey's and this shot is called a car bomb. And I only discovered this shot during lockdown, so I have level four to thank for discovering the shot. So wow. I am going to drop a car bomb right now. Cool. We Do don't it. have enough car bombs in New Zealand? No. Oh. Was it delicious? Very, very nice. Probably moved to my favourite shot now. Nice. All right, so when they say don't mix whiskey, they mean don't mix it with a non-alcoholic drink. Ah, uh, except God. for Jack. No, that's right. Except for Jack or Bullet or any of the bourbons. Bourbons are fine for mixing, I think. Because hmm. they're not real whiskey. Um, wait, I'm trying to think. I think I've always, I've only had Bullet with um, Old Fashioned. No, Whiskey mm. Sours. There we go, Whiskey Sours. Yeah. Yes. Whiskey Sours are great. Mm. As are Old Fashions as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can go wrong with any whiskey-based drink, can you? No, not really. Mm, no. What are you drinking, Matt? I am drinking what in Ireland would be called um, Slonia whiskey, and in England would be called Slane, and probably in America as well. And in New Zealand could be called Slane. That's how people would pronounce it, I reckon. It's just a normal Irish whiskey. It's um, a couple of years old, got delivered. It's, It's surprisingly sweet. It's not as smoky as uh, most. Um, it's nice. It's got like a hint of caramelized caramel. Caramelized caramel is the best caramel to ever have. Yes. Just a note for just, everyone. Just like chocolatey t- chocolate. I mean, I just love chocolatey chocolate. Whilst you guys are drinking yours, I'm going to make my second drink, which is literally just going to be Haku vodka, courtesy of the House of Suntory, and Coke. That's pretty much going to be it. And this is all I ever use medicine cups for, is to pour alcohol to measure them out into. That is it. That's actually really smart. And you know, now that you've mentioned it, I keep thinking about all the random times where I have tipsy messaged you saying, we need to go out drinking. That's right. And we never have. I have. And now we're in level four. Now that we're in level four, we are Zoom drinking together. So I moved to Onihanga um, the first level three. Like before that, I was living in Mirawai for level four. Oh, well, I was, you know, working on a show that we can't talk about because of uh, reasons. Although it's the one show that everyone, like New Zealand's famous for. Um, international show, I should say that. But I was working in QMU Film Studios and I was living out in Mirawai and it was beautiful. But when level four hit, still great, but like the New York City girl in me was just kind of like, beach life is wonderful, but also 20 minutes to go to a grocery store is driving me crazy. So it's hardly the Hamptons, is it in Bitmarawai? It's hardly the Hamptons. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so like Onihanga is like the best, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine too. Sadly, I'm moving ever further away from it. So what have you been doing with yourself during lockdown? How the hell are you keeping yourself sane or amused? Oh, it's it's really interesting because um, surprisingly enough, I was dating this guy like exclusively 
And he and I, we, we did break up like two months ago, but then we, we did that. I did that stupid thing where you kind of still see them because you know, the sex is great. And then the Sunday before lockdown, he like, well, actually that Saturday night, I did acid with my friends and like we went to this massive party called Circus of Lights and it was really great. I remember like taking pictures of me, like having a good time and like sending it to him because in my mind, he was getting off of work at 7 a.m. And I was like, sweet, like I'll still be awake and like we can hang out or whatever. And then that that Saturday night slash Sunday morning at like 2, 3 a.m. He was like, oh, like I'm actually I started seeing this other girl. So we're not going to see each other anymore. And I'm like, oh okay like that sucks that sucks to be on acid and get that news because you're like oh I, I want to have like just and I was having an amazing time until that moment I was like fuck this is this is really bad um but like it was fine and then all Sunday I was hanging out with my friend like on and off crying and I do like the thing that most people in breakups do they're just like whatever like I'm gonna go like I I was doing Krav Maga which is a Israeli, oh, yeah. uh, Israeli self-defense. So I've been doing that for a few months and like dance classes. And I was like, I'll, you know, get back into comedy and all that, like just very like be out, keep busy. And then I get the news that lockdown happens, like it's going to happen for two weeks. And I was like, there goes my life. Um, but surprisingly, it's, it's not that bad. It's just like, it's just Groundhog's Day every morning. And like the frustrating part is my body naturally wakes up at 8 a.m. Okay, like, I guess I'm gonna wake up and, like, I have some, like, healthy habits that I'm, like, trying to keep doing, like, wake up, open the shades, make your bed, brush your teeth, make coffee, have breakfast, do yoga, like, just all these, like, healthy things. And, um, and like, writing, reading, exercise, going out for a walk, and then at night, like, Netflix, talking. I've been doing a lot of talking to friends and family back home. Uh, in New York City, uh, which is where I was born and raised. And so, so it's been good, but it's legit like every single day, I'm like, it is the same thing every single day. And, I'm sorry, um, every time an American says where I was born and raised, I have to ask, was it the schoolyard where you spent most of your days? Yes. School Were you hanging out, maxing, relaxing all day? Yes. <laughs> good. I'm trying to anyway. remember the rest of the lyrics and I'm like... Yeah, me too. And I, <laughs> I wish I hadn't... <laughs> I <was> like... <laughs> Which I hadn't gone down that route. Mm. No, I think yeah, I, very- I don't even know what song that is, but all that came into my mind was Milkshake by Khalees. But I don't know why that song came mm. into my mind. You, Fresh don't, you don't know that song? Oh, Fresh Prince. Living? No, I don't watch that bullshit. Well, obviously, I don't watch it now. No, really. Yeah. I know that you're old. But- yeah, but we had this on the last episode where I was the outsider that didn't watch something and everybody else did or listened to something. But and it's not about my age. It's just about my taste. Living under a rock. Better than yeah, fresh maybe, maybe. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're developing healthy habits, though, um, to, to cope with lockdown, because it is hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a full-time job, but I was so bored yesterday, I um, shaved off all my body hair and ate three pies. And if I keep that up, I'm going to come out of lockdown looking like a massive baby. <laughs> I, I, I was so that. glad. I'm so it's, glad that you shaved your body and didn't rub yourself in pies. That would have been way worse. Yeah, but like I, I also feel like lockdown's a great time to do all those projects you say you'll net. Like the first day of lockdown, I cleaned out the garage and like I'm like starting to do like one small part of like organizing and 
shit like that. Oh, sorry. Are we allowed to curse? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think the downfall of lockdown, which is like, which I think is like the biggest issue of, of lockdown is like, um, cause like if you're locked down with your friends and family or in a flat where you like get along with everybody, like you guys are all friends or like a little family, I think it's great. But for people like me and a couple of my friends who I know where it's like, you have to stick to your own bubble, which is the people in your flat. But if mm. you don't socialize with your flat mates, mm. then you're just by yourself and you can't really extend your bubble because then it's like, two bubbles or like I don't know like it just gets complicated and and it's really frustrating because then like like I know myself because you know I'm not originally from New Zealand and like I do have friends and stuff but I like you know I obviously I don't have a partner and I have close friends but like they're in a flat of like three other people and like it's just and it's like four or five friends who are kind of like this where you can't even like you can't socialize and if you've met me I am such a social butterfly that this is like it's really difficult but you know i just do video chats and drink so yeah do you find it weird and do your family and friends in america find it weird that we've almost flipped 360 that this time last year and most of last year they're completely locked down nothing's happening in america covid's running rampant which and then all of a sudden they talk to you because i've had this from some of my friends in the uk going how are you guys in lockdown? You were supposed to be the model state and now you guys are going nowhere. And, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of the NFL and there's like 70,000 people back in stadiums and here we are locked down all over again. Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've, I've talked to a lot of my friends just like all over. There's some, and it's, again, it's all about location, right? So like New York City, even if they attempted a level four lockdown, it'd just be very difficult. Like, I don't think they would, be able to do it um but it's just it's interesting because they'll they're like you have one case and now you're going into like a complete level four lockdown we have like a thousand and one cases growing every day and it's just like I think I think the way New Zealand's handling it is great um and I think like I think Americans are just so fed up with it like they're just so fed up with not being able to be able to just like live at least we had a taste Mm. of normalcy um i don't actually know if i answered your question sorry i think you did yeah 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 okay (laughs) yeah but like but yeah anyways talking to my friends they're just like they like the fact that or they appreciate the fact that like we had this delta variant come in to the country and we're trying really hard to like just do the steps to take it to like go back to normal life where in New York and, you know, Atlanta and LA, like wearing masks every day is normal life. Like since COVID started, I think I wore a mask a total of one month, maybe like maybe, you know, and like in the States, like people who work in film sets and stuff, they always have to be masked up, gloved, all that jazz. And it's like, I don't like I've worked in on film sets since lockdown and um yeah i think only on like certain shows you have to wear a mask but most of it if it's if it's a kiwi production they're kind of like we're in level one we're fine you still have to like scan your qr codes and well yeah but it's just like normal normal life that's hardly a hardship though 
I was just going to say, as soon as you mentioned work, can you do any work at all under level four? Or are you just totally, there's nothing you can do at all? No, this is, this is the most frustrating part about COVID. So I was working on a, like pre-COVID, I was working on a really big international show and then um, COVID hit. And I remember just being like, I don't know if I'm going to stay in New Zealand or New York. Cause this is when like COVID first happened and no one really knew anything about it and whatnot. So, but then like level four also kind of gave me a reality check of like, you, you don't want to be working a hundred hours a week on film sets. That's just like, it's draining. Like I'm 32 years old, like with no life. And it's great. Like, I love what I do for a living, but I remember being like, you know, kind of like, you don't, some of these big, big productions um, is great on your CV, but like, can actually be quite draining um so then I like I took a break from it and uh when COVID sorry like in the new year I was like all right sweet like get back into film work and every time (laughs) I would get a job this is like back in uh February where we had those like sporadic lockdowns of level three or whatever so like every time I got hired for a job like within two days we went back into lockdown it was just so frustrating because it's like as a freelancer you get paid for work. And if you're not working, you're not making money. And it's just, it's just really frustrating. So, and even with this lockdown, like I was going to be a first AD on a music video, which is like my first time being a first AD. Oh, wow. cool. And like, like, like it was a small job because, you know, it's, it's a music video, but it would be like a great learning opportunity, great money, um, great networking, like all that jazz. And, um, and it was going to be the Saturday. And like, that was another thing that was going to help me through the breakup. It's like, all right, you have like, you're going to keep busy with work. And then like lockdown hit again. And it's just like, all right, well, there goes that music video. And then just, it's just really frustrating. So to answer your question, no, you can't work during level four, during level three. And some productions might do level two. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So yeah. have you have you given any thought to the idea of uh, moving back or are you are you here on a skills visa or are you a resident? So I'm on the work to resident visa for film work. And I like because of lockdown, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. Also, um, this is the first time I've been away from my family. Uh, so I was raised Bengali Muslim, very like very cultural, very religious, very very everything um and uh I um yeah I just like I just always knew that life wasn't the life for me and so because of film because of working in film and being a freelancer like I started traveling a lot and um so I did like my first year I did like a month in Thailand and then the next year I did three months in Europe and then the following year was like supposed to be six months in New Zealand And then the following year was supposed to be a year in Australia. Like that was like my game plan kind of thing. Um, But when I came to New Zealand, like I fell in love with the country. I realized that I could um, work in my career here. Like, like there's a lot of international productions that happen in New Zealand. So I was like, all right, sweet. Like I'm going to live here. And so I went back to the States for three months, packed up all my stuff and came to New Zealand. And overall, I love it. Like my mental health is a lot better. My physical health is a lot better. The healthcare system might not be perfect in New Zealand, but it's way better than the States, you know? And so I was like, 
no, like New Zealand is definitely my home. Um, but in saying that in an ideal world, I'm here for six months and then I go back to New York for six months and I'm here for six months, um, which might sound strange, but I know a couple of people in New York City who will do that. They'll do like uh, six months in the States and six months in South Africa or something like that. Like ultimate goal, avoid winter at all costs. Um, so, yeah. So. Very understandable, definitely. I do. I, I must admit, being a, a migrant from the northern hemisphere, that uh, I and in fact, my first year here was was a year of no winter. Yeah, it's very appealing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it gets damn cold in New York, right? In winter, I'm like, it's just it's extreme temperatures. So like when it's winter, it's extremely cold. Um, when it's summer, it's extreme. Everyone's just like, oh, don't you need like a puffer jacket? Like I bought a puffer jacket. And I've only worn it four days in the three years that I've been here, like a proper puffer jacket. And I'm just like, it's not. So I'm, I'm keen to just drop back a step. And, and if you're interested, if you know, if you are comfortable talking about it, what was Europe bringing like in New York? You know, Bengali background and all that sort of stuff. How, how was New York growing up? And talk us through a bit about your sort of life. And that'll probably lead us into some questions later as well. Um. It's really, so I grew up in the Bronx in the 90s, um, and like I, you know, grew up in like, like an apartment building, and one of my fondest memories that I do have is, um, so it's like, like you come out of the building, and it's just this entire massive block, like it has to be maybe a 15 to 20 minute walk of a block of just buildings. And, um, and at the end of the block, maybe like, you know, a couple, a, pl- a couple of blocks away is where the primary school was. And across the street was the middle school. And in that same vicinity was the high school. So like, I just remember um, very diverse, like the Bronx is very diverse, mostly with um, people of color. Uh, so black, Hispanic, Asian. And um, so like, waking up in the morning like getting ready for school it's like we would all like walk together in like a group like you kind of just like stop at each house and like the families will come out and like you just like walk together to all go to school um it's great and then you go to the bodega to get your little snacks you know 25 cents for a bag of chips 25 cents for a little juice box and like yeah it's great and then after school you kind of do the same thing or like everyone goes to the park um the fire hydrant the sprinkles like it's it's the sprinkler system like yeah it's 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 really great and um so like I said like my family is Bengali so all of our food would mostly be like curries and rice and uh things like that and like my mom always wore like a hijab and like traditional clothing and stuff um and then we moved to Jersey which is like white suburbia Jersey but like it's like right over the bridge. So, if, um, so we moved to Jersey and that was like white suburbia. So it's like any white suburbia area. Um, a lot of white people, not many like, and so it's like majority white. And then like, then you have like, uh, African-Americans, Hispanic, and then all Asians is like 1%. So, um, so that was interesting as well because when I was about like yeah when I like hit my teenage years my um uh I started wearing a hijab 
and then 9-11 happened and it was just like it was just awful is the only word I could think about like awful is yeah it was just awful and I was also like the only like brown kid and like the only hijabi and then like when I got into high school then like more people uh came around and yeah high school was all high school was so fucking awful and I just remember like my um high school counselor was just like it gets better in college it gets better in university and yeah and then when I hit university that's where I was like like everything I did in like all my previous years was just like it's just what you did right like your parents tell you to like do the dishes um do your homework clean your room be like pray like so that I was doing all the stuff because my that's what my parents like told me to do and uh when I got to uni I was just like actually like that's just kind of not my life and I became I just started getting out of my shell if that makes more sense so was there a part of your life where you consciously decided not to wear the hijab was it because of what was going on in 9-11 or did you feel that 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 was a time in your life that actually it was more because like like I just I just realized I'm not religious like I I understand and believe in the reasons why someone would wear a hijab and why someone would pray and why like I understand the meaning behind it but I also was just like that's that's just not for me. Like, I just don't believe, like, I'm not a religious person. Like I was never really religious. And that's kind of like where the, it hit me when one of my closest friends in university and like throughout high school and stuff, like we went to the same mosque. Um, she was like a devout Muslim wore a hijab and all that jazz. And we went to the same university together. And I remember like just hanging out with friends and like, she was also in my friend's group. And like how I would interact with guy friends was very like completely different to how she would interact with guy friends, which is fine. But it made me realize that like, I think like I would wear a hijab and a guy would give me a hug and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And she was very like, but like we can chat, but like, don't touch me kind of thing. Um, And I was just like, oh man, like I'm putting the wrong image out. Like like I'm just, I'm just doing something wrong. And I was like, I don't like the hijab is like a very um, religious thing that I'm like ignoring. And so, yeah, I just, I was just like, this isn't, yeah, it's not me. So I stopped. Hijab is quite a religious item of clothing, if that's the right terminology. We obviously had the horrific mosque shootings a few years ago in Christchurch. And then our prime minister obviously puts a hijab on and celebrates probably not the right word, but they're not offended by someone out of the culture wearing well, them or something. There's um, this is what what I feel about as far. There's a difference between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation, you know. And I think she was doing it as a sign of respect, you know. And I think that's why not many people, from my understanding, were offended by it. If anything, they appreciated the fact that like, hey, this happened, and she's just trying to show her appreciation and just also like her um, her sympathy to like what, what happened. It was like such a tragic thing. Um, so yeah, like I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it was respectful. Um, in fact, there's a lot of times where like um, 
in the mosque that I grew up in, uh, different people from like different cultures or different religions would come to like, whether it was to learn about Islam or whether it was just to like kind of create a relationship, um, they would do the same, like they would wear a hijab, they would like wear long clothing and stuff like that, like as a sign of respect versus um, um, appropriation. Yeah, which is just like a pop culture thing. It's like, I'm going to, yeah. So when you left university, college, did you go straight into film or did you take a different career path before that? Um, Funny, funny, actually. So because of my upbringing, like I, I also think I grew up in that generation of like, you know, the whole work to nine to five and, you know, 401k, all that jazz. Um, and like, I had this timeline in my mind of like, all right, so I was working at a law firm. I had a boyfriend. I was like, all right, you're going to get married by your, by the time you're 25, have kids by 27, 28, like have a house by 30, like this, this whole timeline that I had. And, um, when I was, yeah. So when I was 22, like I graduated uni, started working at a law firm and and it was great. And, um, 25 was when I was going to move to, so my, my boyfriend at the time had a, he lived five minutes away from me, but he got a job in Atlanta, which I guess you can, like, it's eight hours away from New York city. And, um, he was like, yeah, like you should move with me and blah, blah, blah. And I was just kind of like, yeah, like this is, this is what you're supposed to do. Like you're with the partner for three and a half years and like working at a law firm and they had a law firm in Atlanta. So I could have just like moved there and like started up a new team and stuff like that. And I remember telling my partner, I was like, I want to spend my last summer in New York city before I move to Atlanta. And that summer I was just kind of like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you don't, you don't love him. You don't want to marry him. Like it was just all these things where it's just like, don't do it. So I quit my job at the law firm, broke up with him, tried to figure out what to do. And so I started, I was a summer nanny. So like a a nanny for two months while I tried to figure out what the next step was. And uh, the father that I was working with is a cinematographer. And um, like I worked with them for two months and then I started working with another family for a school year just to still figure out what's the next moves. Um, and then he called me at the end of the school year and asked, uh, you know, like, what, what are you up to? What are you doing? And at the time I was telling him that I was going to be a project manager. Cause I was like, Oh, it's like, it's freelance work. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what I kind of want to do. And, uh, he asked if I wanted to be like, um, kind of like an admin assistant for the summer. Cause he's trying to build a, like a, he wanted to build a production company and he did, he built a production company. And so I worked part-time with him for the summer as an, um, as an admin. And then that at the, after the two months, he hired me full-time to be a production coordinator and then to be a production manager for uh, TV commercials. And, and it was great. And it was lovely. Like we had an amazing first year and the following year. um, So we had like this client that we did like a series of commercials with, and it was great. And then the following year kind of slowed down a bit. And he told me like, Hey, um, you should freelance into TV and film because it's just a bit more consistent work. And so I started PAing and just nonstop from there. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is the life because every day is 
completely different. Like even if you're doing like a studio day or whatever, it's still a completely different day. Like different people, different cast, different crew. Like it's just, it's never boring in film and TV. No. So that's what that's I true. loved about it. So like you could get onto a series, like any of those like ABC, NBC, like network televisions where it's like eight months. So it's like eight months of work or eight to nine months of work. And then you can go on a hiatus for like two, three months. And um, I found out from, from a couple of the crew members. So like they'll either jump onto another job uh, mostly for like, you know, family and kids, whatever, but like more of the younger single people would actually go travel. And, you know, that's where I like got inspired to like start traveling um, during these one, two months that I had a break and yeah, I ended up coming to New Zealand. And I honestly was planning to be here just for six months, but a couple of my friends in New York were like, oh, you should like try to get some film work. And uh, the first month in New Zealand, I like traveled around. The second month I was like job hunting in film work and I got hired as a second AD for Kiwi comedy. And it was, and from there, I just like just kept getting booked. It was great. Cool. What's the coolest show or film that you've ever worked on? And is there any funny stories from your sort of film past? I should say there'll be a few. Well, so I worked on, so I worked on all the Marvel uh, TV shows on Netflix. So like Luke Cage, uh, Jessica oh, wow. Jones, um, The Punisher. Those were great, and the Defenders. Those were great shows to work on because it was a lot of stunts. So it was like just really just heavily stunt based. But those were also the most um, draining, I guess is the right, like the best word. Cause it's all, you know, it's all night shoots. It's all these like big massive lockups and stuff like that. Um, I think I also worked on uh, the series finale of um, The Deuce, which was mm. quite cool and like, the so I, I was a first team PA on that and that was just that was probably probably one of the top coolest ones I I guess and I think the the most fun I had uh was called um Nora from Queens that's the Aquafina show that she does on Comedy Central oh, yeah, yeah she's cool I haven't seen yeah, that but she's, she's really cool she's so chill and just yeah she's so chill I, I really love her um, that show and there's this other show called um, Little Voice, which is a. Uh, do you know um, Sarah Borales? She did a love song. I'm no. not gonna write you a love song. Sarah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So she, so she did a she did a show as well, and um, that one was fun because the crew was a lot of fun. I, I think that's that's what it is. Like if the crew yeah. is great, yeah. you're always gonna have a good time. So yeah, Thanks. those are good. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading your, is it IMDB profile? <laughs> oh, wow. It's very, uh, pretty impressive. It's funny because I think uh, when you guys asked me, you know, about my work and stuff, like, I think because it's been so long that I kind of forget some stuff, <laughs> which I know sounds a bit silly, but like, it kind of, they just all kind of like blur together. And, you know, um, so I was like, ah, oh, like, I don't remember half the things I do. And, uh, it's actually my my tinder dates will google me and my imdb page will come up <laughs> and that's how like which is so creepy because i wouldn't think to do that i wouldn't think to google somebody but yeah i've had guys well, I tell thought, me like, that's that's interesting so you don't um because i thought women did more googling of tinder dates than men to be honest 
Um, for safety reasons as much as anything. I know I've been Googled many times. Yes, yeah, so I've... Uh, that says a lot about you, though, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just because I look, I look scary. I don't know, maybe. Um, so when I was in New York City and I was living... So when I was in New York City, after I graduated uni, um, got my own studio and eventually got a one-bedroom apartment. Um, this is in Jersey, actually, but like... Um, and uh, that time I did a lot of like reverse like a lot of Googling, a lot of like reverse checkups and stuff like that. And I had like, I had this system. Uh, one of my friends um, was a detective. And so I would like send him like the phone number and like the okay. license plate and all that jazz. Like, hey, if I, well, okay. <laughs> in my defense, <laughs> in my defense. Oh, I'm with you on that. I hey, think that's no one's judging you. Hey, no one's yeah. judging you. It's just like, okay. So the boyfriend that I was with for three and a half years, when we hit about a year and a half, I want to say, I remember telling my, like, I remember wanting to break up with him. And just cause like, I was just like, I don't like, I don't, again, I don't love him. I don't want to be with like, I don't see a future with him. And I remember sitting in the dentist office and I was just crying because like, like, it's not like he was a bad guy. Just like, just didn't have feelings for him. And like, I didn't know how to break up with someone because you don't have feelings for them. Like, it was just like a strange concept to me. And I remember thinking like, okay, whatever, it's fine. Like, you know, you can go like, you're young you can go on match.com, like just all these like different dating sites and stuff. And the moment I said match.com on the news, the TV reporter said match.com. And I was just like, that's strange. And I looked up and there was a serial killer who got mm. his victims off of match.com. And I literally immediately stopped crying and was just like, well, he's never going to kill me. So I stayed with him for another two years because he was never going to kill me. And then um, when I, so when I was working in the film industry, I started working. So like I was working in the commercial world and then I switched over to TV and film. And I, I the producer that I worked with on the commercials hired me to work on these uh, crime recreation shows. And it was literally, it literally oh called Homicide city or I am homicide and it was just all all real life cases of murders that happened and they were all like most of them were murdered by people that the victim knew or whatever and I just remember being it got to a point where I did four seasons of that and it got to a point where I we all just got desensitized by murder and rape which is which is really bad like it's really bad and I remember I would go on these dates with these guys and just looking at them like, would you murder me and how? And like, just, and I, like, <laughs> I just like had to stop because I'm like, I don't know if you're going to kill me. Like, I don't know. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's, that, that uh, was... you know, it's, we can't really say anything funny about that because um, <laughs> it is it's pretty just, shit yeah. and true, really. So, yeah, totally understandable that you would use detective contacts to um, find stuff out. Yeah. Although, obviously, we know detectives are themselves <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> hardly the first ones to be trusted in this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're a bit shady, aren't they? No, I was looking up the match.com person while we were talking. 
And, oh, I thought um, you were saying I, you were looking up Rukia on. Uh, yeah, well, I've already done one. It's been really weird. But, but I go to like sites like IMDb, Matt, not Tinder and Bumble. So, um, although not that I'm willing to say on air anyway. Jason Lawrence was the Match.com attacker, 2009 to 2014. Yes, fucking crazy, fucking crazy. It's insane. It's insane. I'm a live on air kind of researcher type of guy. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, it, it makes you realise that gay Germans have got a much better system. This kind of thing, doesn't it? Well, what are you down with this fucking Frankfurt? <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Because they, because you know, um, in Germany there seems to be a big thing German in the dating scene, Matt. <laughs> there seems to be a big thing in the German gay dating scene of cannibalism. Oh yes, but it's mutual. Yeah, yeah the person They're... who wants to eat, like puts it in their profile i'm looking for someone who wants to be eaten or have a part of them eaten and then That's they arrange and it's all mutually consenting well it's like that actor what is it i think his his name is like i want to say it's not arm and hammer but that's the name that keeps coming up it's like <laughs> army okay, Armin, slander what oh my god i have to look up his name it, but he was also um he got uh what do you call it um there was this girl that like said that he was into can- cannibalism and like sent all these like photos of the screenshots and stuff like that. I have to look up his name. It's gonna. Oh my goodness! Crazy. Yeah, we better make crazy. sure we get the right name here because. Call. I don't me. want us to get shut down in our prime for uh, accusing a well-known Hollywood actor. Oh of... no, Army that... Hammer. Army Hammer, Hammer. Hammer is his name. Yeah, Army Hammer. Yeah. Yeah. It was him. It... Yeah, yeah, it was him. Not Army Arm Hammer. Hammer the Not Arm and Hammer, but Army <laughs> Hammer, yeah. So he was in Uncle, the movie Call Me By Your Name. Mirror, yeah, yeah. Mirror. yeah, yeah. I know who he is, yeah. So he's a cannibal. And and it's crazy because he's really fucking hot. Like, I'm not saying that only creepy, like, ugly guy. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Like, he's really hot. If and I And I watch true crime recreation shows all the time. Like, or true crime TV, um, like that show. And then Hannibal, I watched Hannibal, mm. like, and it's just like these very, very sophisticated, elegant men who are psycho killers. And it's mm. just. Oh, the classic example is Ted Bundy. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. yeah. Good looking, very sort of uh, persuasive and everything. And uh, my favorite crime show is actually an American crime show called The First 48. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good Absolutely one. amazing show. So movie I sorry, there was a movie I saw called it, it's a poorly done movie, but it's called The Craigslist Killer. And oh, he yeah. was like this medical student, again, like very handsome, very educated, very like well put together, who was also a killer. And it's just, you know, would start it off with prostitutes and then just kind of like worked his way around and whatnot it's just it's crazy so if you were on a date and the guy told you this is a question for either of you really i guess if you're on a date and the guy tells you that he is a murderer but it was like another person of the same gender brawl um it was a revenge killing or something like that like a dexter Um, a a vigilante yeah or even a serial killer who goes and kills people who deserve to be killed yeah exactly would you continue with the date and consider them an option or would you like just cut it short as quickly as you could in a nice way without offending them and leave i would very safely like 
play the game a little bit and then just kind of kind of dip because like even though they might have this like moral code you kind of don't know when they'll snap because that's that's the other thing like people just kind of snap you know and Mm, like mm. it's like the show snapped uh where it's just you know people just get fed up and they kill someone yeah yeah I'm definitely familiar with that show, Snapped. Yeah, it's literally yeah. when one person just goes unhinged. Philip Markov is the name of the um, Craigslist killer. So, um, um, yeah, I'm a true crime. I'm a massive true crime fan as well. I have books and books and books and books about it. So, so Darren, if you were on a date with a man and he told you that he was um, he'd killed a few people, would you continue with the date or would you cut it short? Yeah, it's sort of a bit unnerving. It's not. Uh, it's not something that will particularly turn me on to carry on with the date, to be honest with you. It's like, oh, God damn, this is hot. I could get killed tonight. Um, no, I think I would probably go, I'm just going to the bathroom. And, just... <laughs> <laughs> and then call the police and go, there's someone you need to go and arrest. So, really? Uh, no, so just me, just me then? That would... Female anybody, I don't think. If, if it was a male or female date or anything, I think I'd be out of there pretty quickly. Fair enough. Just me that would uh, cons- would I'd I'd consider it a mark against them, like to add to other things, but I wouldn't necessarily. It wouldn't be a deal breaker. But it's true what Ricky says, though. Ninety percent of women get killed by people that know them, whereas yeah. men, when men are murdered, it's less likely. Yeah, it's a weird stat. Yeah, well, in saying like what you were saying, as far as like um, like what would you do if you dated somebody who who's killed people before or whatever like my so my very first boyfriend um was a marine and he like before and this is like like i was still a bit religious and stuff like that so not like what like it's just very like platonic i guess you could say um but like bef- like he was fine and then he went to afghanistan mm. and then he came back and you could just kind of tell it was a bit different and like I mean he suffered from really bad PT like it was it was probably one of the one of the scariest moments in my life where I was just like you're actually a little bit too crazy for me and I can handle most crazy but you're just you're just a bit and like this is so this is 2007 so like things were still quite real in Afghanistan I mean things are quite real in Afghanistan now but you know what I mean like it was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. like just quite more warlike I guess you could say I don't know but yeah so no people snap and you're just like you know what you crazy can't deal oh, with yeah. it yeah, yeah. yeah it's like Alsatians never leave an Alsatian with a child yeah <laughs> but uh well I'm keen to uh go from here is obviously you've worked in the film industry and everything what drew you into comedy i've so when in the working in film and stuff i've always wanted to write and like that's kind of the direction i want to go to like more screenwriting and script writing and whatnot and when i came to new zealand again like didn't really you know i came by myself don't really know many people didn't have a i've noticed that most of my friends who are not from new zealand somehow got a partner almost immediately coming to New Zealand like within the first two months they got a partner and like now their life is just with their partner and I think that's great I think that's fabulous and whatnot but for me I just like you know I 
don't really want a boyfriend and all that jazz. New Zealand's probably the first place in the last 10 years that I've been in the longest that's not New York City. Um, so in saying that, like, just very outgoing, just always wanted to like hang out and stuff. And so to try to make friends, I would go out like the way I would normally in New York City, right? Like you, you know, after a long day of work, because, because I don't like to drink by myself at home. Mm. Like I don't like, that's just not my thing. Um, I love drinking, but I drink on a more social aspect. So if I'm like talking to somebody or whatever, like I'll have drinks. Um, so I would go to bars and, you know, like have a drink and chat with people and whatnot. But New Zealand isn't, <laughs> you've no. gone to, like, it's just, they don't even have seats at the bar, you know, like they don't yeah. have seats at the bar where you can mm. just sit there. And like, that's one of the things what I like about Bramble, like there's actual seats at the bar. So it's not painfully obvious that you're by yourself. Like most of the bars I've gone to, you have to sit at a table and it's just a bit awkward. And so um, with stand-up, I remember, like I always loved watching stand-up comedy. I love, you know, like I love watching it. I love going to stand-up comedy shows and like open mics and whatnot. And I remember um, thinking like, just give it a go maybe like it'll be a great way to like meet people and like also have an excuse to be at a bar on a Tuesday night and have a drink. Like it seemed like a good idea. So I just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I'm not as active as I'd like to be for several reasons, but I do when I do it for the most part, like 80% of the time I have like the time of my life. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, and have you had any like formal training or anything, or is it just yeah, just go up there and talk, yeah, and then see what happens and cool. what sticks and what doesn't? Yeah. What gives you um? What kind of what inspires you to write jokes? Well, I think it's more. I I think I find myself more of like a storyteller joke, like comedian, which is um, which is quite hard because like you know most newbies like you have the six minutes and you have to like figure out how to say all these punchline 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 like and it, mm -hmm. which is quite difficult for me but like I a lot of my jokes just come from just my life like when I tell certain people things that have happened it's just it's just so bizarre that <laughs> it's so bizarre that it's funny you know and it's just like so that's where most of my jokes come from they come from a like most people, uh, most comedians, like trauma and everyday life. Um, I don't do more. I don't do like the political stuff or the current event things. Um, it's just not my thing. Um, but I do more like, yeah, more like my personal experiences and whatnot. So you just said there's a few reasons why you're not so active. Anything you want to share? Um. So... The few times that I've done it where it was great, it was like such an adrenaline rush. And and I think the difference is like the times that were great um, that I've done it, like it'll be one of those, um, not just like a normal open mic, but like an actual like, um, like an actual uh, comedy show, if that makes sense. Um, and like, I'll tell all my friends and stuff about it and that like, you know, they'll come and, you know, and so it's really great. It's like a real social thing. Uh, the couple of times that I've done it where it wasn't great, it was just like either something in the crowd would be wrong or maybe something amongst the comedians would be wrong or 
or would go wrong. Or um, one of the biggest things that I had difficulty with is um, going to these open mics where, you know, everyone's going up and performing and just like, if you're kind of chilling in the background with the other comedians and you just kind of like hear them all talk shit about the person who's performing and you're just kind of like, but then like the moment they come off the set, they're very like nice to their face. And I'm just like, what the fuck is, if you don't like somebody, just tell them you don't fucking like them. If you don't like their act, tell them you don't fucking like their act. Like you don't have to love everyone's comedy. Like everyone's comedy Mm. is different. But to be fake is really frustrating. And so then like, I'll do a set and then kind of come off and like, like, oh yeah, it's great. Or like, that was good or blah, blah, blah. And then kind of just feeling that awkwardness of like, like, are you in, it's like, it's kind of like having lunch in the cafeteria in high school again. Like, (laughs) are you in or are you not in? Or like, what's going on? Or like, are you talking shit about me? Like, did you just talk all this? Like, it's just, it's very, and I get very anxious. And then it kind of hit me where it's like, this is supposed to be a very fun thing. Like comedy is supposed to be fun. And like, I know that, I know that there are some comedians who are doing the stand-up because that's what they want their career to be. Like, this is their passion. This is their love. This is what they want. And I don't see myself as a career stand-up comedian. I do see myself in the creative aspect and whatnot, but like, I don't see it as a career it's more of just like a social thing like a hobby that I want to do that I have fun doing when it's not fun anymore it's just like why like why are you doing it you know kind of um kind of thing like I kind of look at it as like sports right you have like the people in high school and university where they they'll play football and they're like you know that is one of their passions but that's not their career but they'll still do like the football clubs where they meet once or twice a week to like have a practice and have a game on Sundays or whatever just to kind of like because it is one of their passions but the moment it stops being fun it's kind of like what are you what are you doing for me for me that's my yeah yeah that's interesting because I've I've never heard people at the back talking shit about the comedians on stage which makes me want worry that I'm one of the ones they're talking shit about or I say makes me worry but um (laughs) I don't really care but it's it's interesting that that happens it's it, and when I say it, like I was thinking about, it, as I said, it, it was only this one bar with one of the comedians who I don't think is in the world anymore that I think like kind of instigate, like, I don't know. It was just mm. like, I just remember being like, this is, and I've talked to a, like a several other female com- uh, yeah. comedians and I've asked them like, Hey, like, have you experienced this or whatever? And they'll be like, yeah, like what the fuck? But in like a Kiwi way, not not in the Bronx way. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, and you're you're definitely not the first female comic I've heard say stuff like that as well. Yeah. It's just interesting that you get a slightly different experience than what yeah. we get. Yeah, it's really it's really uh it's really frustrating. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's really yeah, just frustrating. <laughs> as a as a female comic and person of color, do you feel safe in the New Zealand comedy environment, or do you think there's a lot of work to be done? it's it's really tricky to say that for me and I say this because I've gone to bars by myself at nighttime in New York City where I've definitely felt safe and there there were some times where I'm like "Eh, yeah so like and when I go to comedy shows in New Zealand like I always make sure like 
like I Uber there or, you know, like, like just to have a safe place to go and stuff. Um, I feel like with anything in the world, there's definitely improvement. Um, I don't think it's, okay, I'll put it in, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. I remember the first time I solo traveled to Thailand, I like had gone to this party hostel, but I emailed ahead of time to the party hostel like management and I said like hey like my name's Rookie I'm traveling by myself just here are these things that I'm a little bit concerned about like just wanting to know how like what the situation is and whatnot and and they were re- like immediately emailed me back saying like what the protocols are and whatnot and just like very like safe guidelines and like when I got there um again it was my first time traveling by myself away from friends and family and whatnot and the the three people in the management like immediately made me feel safe and like joined me into their crowd and whatnot and I think I don't know whose responsibility it is for like is it the host is it the MC or like who it is but to like just make the comedians feel welcomed and like not a family but just like you know like this is us we're good like if you have any questions or concerns let me know or whatever the case is which I never like I know there's group chats right like everyone joins this group chat the MC or the host will say like um these are the rules of regulations and whatnot like but I think there could be just a better system and I don't I don't actually know what that system is I know there's people who try to be like gig buddies um like any bird lives down the street from me so like I know if if she's gonna go on a gig or if she's you know she does love lamp a lot oh she does love lamp um like I'll ride with her or whatever the case is so I think there's steps being taken place but there's definitely room for improvement like most things that's interesting because I think one of the questions I had is whose responsibility should it be is it the venue owner? Is it the producer? Is it the comics themselves? I mean, it's probably a collection of them all, I, right? I think it is. I think I think it is. Um, I think there have been two times where I had like a really god-awful experience. And I remember those two times where I was like, uh, you need to take, a, like, you just need to take a break until you're 100% back to like being able to do it. And uh, the first incident was just kind of like, like I had a, I had a heckler who, um, who said like, take your shirt off, blase blocked. And the thing is, I know a lot of people are like, just heckle, like just tell them off back or, you know, whatever the case is. And I'm just kind of like, but why? Like, first of all that, like, okay, yes, you can't control the audience or whatever the case is. But I think what should have happened was when that person said something, he should have immediately gotten kicked, like immediately gotten Mm -hmm. kicked out whether it was from the venue, like the people at the venue or the MC or the produ- like the producer, like immediately should have been kicked out. He should have not been able to see the rest of the show. And it just like, I remember I had, like I had so many things running through my mind when he said that, like, cause part of me was, cause regardless of what the heckle is, like you have this script in your mind that you're reciting. And yes, there's rooms for, there's a room for somebody to like maybe answer your story, like, you know, just like shout out something or whatever. Like there was room for that, but like he was heckling the entire thing. And it's just like, like he should, like, why didn't you take him out? And then 
I was just like, you know, doing the whole victim blaming to myself, like, ah, like I've had people tell me that I probably shouldn't dress the way that I do when I go to, you know, stand up shows. Um, And it's just kind of like, well, I'm going to a bar, potentially meet somebody. So yeah, I'm going to dress like I'm going to a bar. Like the, the stand up comedy bit is 10 minutes of my life slash two hours. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, and also who cares? Like, I want to dress how I want to dress. Like, who gives a shit? Like, I shouldn't have to dress in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Like, who gives a shit? And so it was that. And then it's just like, you know, how to deal with a heckler in general. And then like, did I overreact? Did I underreact? Like all these things are just going through my mind. And I remember putting it up on Facebook and I had a lot of female comedians, like, you know, try to help me and give me advice and like, you know, um, whatnot. And, and it was great. But I think, I think when that, when that happened, it was just like, why the fuck did he stay? Like, why the fuck was he still there? Like, why was he still there? You should have fucking immediately taken him out. And, you know, it just, it was not handled right at all. And there was a huge, like a huge part of me that I feel so guilty for saying, but it's like, because the person after me, who she's a very sweet, she's a very sweet girl, but she's also a very petite blonde. And like a little part of me, which I feel so bad for thinking, but I was like, what if she was on first and the heckler said, hey, take off your shirt. Would the bar treat it differently because she's a petite white blonde girl? Or like what would have happened, you know? And it was just like, and it was really, I hated myself for thinking like that. But at the same time, I'm like, well, no, what if? Like, what if mm-hmm. she, like, would they have handled it differently? You know, and that, and it's really frustrating that I even thought about it, but it's also true, you know? The legitimate question, definitely. Yeah. You genuinely don't know the answer to that question. So. Yeah. And, and I remember, so it was that. And then I also said, like, you know, what, like, if it was a white male comedian, like, how would it have been addressed? And I remember there was a white male comedian who saw me say that. And he was just like, you know, like, do you think it would have been different if it was a white male comedian? I'm like, fuck yeah. And then he proceeded to, like, kind of say, like, how if it were him like and he responded back there's that chance of like getting into a bar fight and like I understand that male comedians probably have the fear of a bar fight but like get fucked like a bar fight is so is a hundred because a bar fight would happen at the bar a female comedian who's by herself can get sexually assaulted on her walk to the car like it's just two totally different places, you know, one's in a public area, one's not, you know, and it's just like, there's a quality and then there isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. like there really isn't. And like, Mm -hmm. let's, let's just be honest about that. It was really fucking frustrating. Without sort of breaching any confidentialities, obviously you've probably talked to a lot of females in the community, whether it be gender diverse, um, race or anything like that, you know, white, brown, anything like that. I think, unfortunately, for females and for females and people in the LGBTQI plus and people of color and white people, like you're never going to be 100 percent safe. But I like it. I think. Yeah, it's just it's always going to be a bit dangerous and, and it's really annoying because you have to always think about like when I go out drinking by myself, I think about 
all of the precautions I need to take before I do. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating because like, like I want to have a good time. I want like, you know, I Uber places so that I can drink and have a good time. And also like watch what I'm drinking so I don't get too plastered, you know, because like I am by myself and I am drinking and whatnot. And it's just like, and I'm not saying that guys don't have to think like that, but they probably don't have to think as much as I do or as No, we don't have to think like that. We don't have to think like that. I can go and get blackout drunk and wake up on my bedroom floor at five o'clock in the morning and yeah i've done that in multiple cities all around the world yeah it's just like it's never been a problem i've never even it's never even occurred to me to be concerned yeah for myself it's funny that you mentioned that so one of my when i came back to new zealand um one of my really close friends and drinking dancing buddy was this guy from uh from kent england kent Mm. uh But he and I, we would go out drinking like Friday, Saturday, whatever. And like, I would maybe between either two o'clock or like four o'clock or five o'clock, I'm just kind of like, all right, yeah, you like, I always make sure I get to a certain level and I'm like, okay, you should, this is the time to go home. This guy, this motherfucker, (laughs) fucking seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Hey, what's the passcode to get back into the building? Just like passed out drunk in front of the hostel or in front of the apartment. And it was just like, always had his wallet and cell phone, like never got robbed, but just would be passed out in like fucking a park bench or whatever. And I'm like, God, I could never, I could never do that. That's the second part. Yeah. I have to say, over the last couple of years, I've personally found Central Auckland not to feel as safe yeah. as what it was a couple of years ago. That's from a male point of view. I don't feel as safe in Central Auckland as I used to. So I can yeah. only imagine what do the people might feel like. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why, but this is like from the Bronx, and like um, I've never needed to, but like I've always carried around a pocket knife with me. Like all the time, I would always carry around a pocket knife. And only in New Zealand, if I mention it to someone, they're just kind of like, why? Like, and that it's like, it's one of my jokes in my standup of like how in the Bronx, if I tell somebody I walk around with a pocket knife, they're just like, why are you holding, like, why do you have a pocket knife? You should be holding a Glock versus <laughs> New Zealand. They're like, why are you having, like, why do you have a pocket knife on you? It's just like, that's just the difference, you know? Um, yeah. Again, without trying to breach any confidentialities, do you feel that the female and, and, and people of colour have somewhere safe to turn to in the community to express these feelings? Or do you feel that just there's not, um, there's nowhere, there's not enough places or there's no feeling of confidence that if you said something that someone would seriously act on it? So when, when I had my incident happen, um, well, actually, no, 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 there's, there's two different. So it was that incident that happened. And I was also like when lockdown happened, um, or the second round of lockdown, there was this huge group chat with all stand-up comedians where it's supposed to be a writer's room. Oh yeah. We were in there as well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, and you know, whatever, like group chats, they're always going to go off topic. And there were so many times where it was just getting a bit too toxic, like just Mm. male toxic. And I was just like, all right. And less about the writing. 
Um, but that ends up happening the more people you add. So I, so I did get that. And so I remember I created a group just for female non-binary uh, people to be a part of this group. So whether it was just to have like a writer, I mean, we never actually had the writer session, but like writer session or try out a joke or like, hey, if someone's going to this comedy gig, like who else is going? Let's like ride together or um, or like if we're if there are several people at a gig and they're going home, like, you know, people will be in the group chat saying like, hey, I got home or, you know, whatever the case is. So there was that group. And I know, um, I believe Kuda and some, Kuda started another group for like people of color um, and uh, Maori Pacific Island. So, so I know that there are groups where people will say, hey, like X, Y, or Z happened or, you know, um, what, what have you. And I know for the, for the female group, um, people will be supportive. Like you say an incident happened, they'll put in their advice of like, hey, go to the guild or go to this, or like, you know, they'll address it in a proper way and give advice and be there for moral support and whatnot, which I think is really good. So uh, there are outlets, but I think the sad part about these outlets is that somebody had to be a victim or just felt like they had to do something in order to make this, these groups happen. And like, like that's instead of somebody just whether it's the guild or somebody uh, or a seasoned comedian or somebody who, who's been in the New Zealand comedy world for a while to just be like, hey, this is happening and we should make a change. Like it's it's quite unfortunate that like myself, who I'm not really like I'm new ish and I'm not like to just make these groups because we just felt like there's like a voice that's not being heard. Um, it's quite unfortunate. I think it's quite sad, actually, because I think the more you segregate the comedy community, the less everybody gets out of it. Yeah, yeah. I like I I think it's important to make sure voices are heard. But the one thing I get really aggravated about is when people will reach out to me to do a comedy show because it's just like the lineup is just all white male comedians. It's like, hang on, don't ask like don't ask me to be part of your show because I'm the token person of color, like I'm the diversity quota, like ask me to be on your show because you honestly think I'm funny. Like that's like one of my biggest um, pet peeves. But how do you, not to defend the tokenism because I'm sure that does happen, um, but from the point of view of somebody who has produced one gig alongside Darren, um, which you came to and yeah, brought, yeah. brought people as well. So thanks for that. For, uh, establishing a balanced lineup. And I can only imagine with open mics, it's, I mean, our gig was a semi-pro gig. Um, yeah. I can only imagine with open mics, it's, it's harder. Like how, I mean, and it's not your job to think of the answers to this, right? Because you're not a producer of comedy gigs. But do you have any ideas about how that could be made easier for the producers that do want to have a good balanced lineup? Like it, it should just be like, yes, have, like obviously make sure it's a good balance. But I think... You shouldn't like I, I think when you're doing a comedy show and like, listen, I've never produced a comedy show or anything like that. But I think it should just be the fact that like, hey, so and so is fun. Like my two favorite comedians that I can see. Literally every single show of theirs is um, Thomas Chapman and Kuda, because mm. I genuinely find them hilarious. Like I find them hilarious and I don't see them as like Thomas Thomas, a uh, white man, and Kuda, a Maori girl. Like, I just find them two 
hilarious comedians because I, yeah. I just find their comedy funny funny relatable like the whole nine you know um and so for me like like that's just my thing like I I don't want to say I don't see color obviously I see color but it's just like like who's funny right like I see some people who go up and I'm just like they're not in my opinion I don't find them funny um and I see some people who go up who you could tell like possibly there for the diversity quota and and like it's just they're just not funny and it's just I don't know I don't know I don't know what the answer is but I'm really hoping we get to a point where like it's not about so much how they look, but how funny they are, you know? Yeah. Mm, yeah, I've spoke to a couple of producers and they've said they've actively tried to get more people, females, people of colour, yeah. gender diverse, and they've really struggled to attract them. And I think the first question is why are we struggling to attract people? Is yeah. it a safety thing? Is it a inclusivity thing? And I think there's still a fair bit of work to be done to understand that, to be honest. Well, like the thing when when people when they say they don't like okay you can't have shows like honey love you can't have shows like um uh oh my god what is it's sorry i've been drinking (laughs) it's it's this uh, it's this queer show that oh no homo no comedy no home yes and then um the comedy show that julia and tess produced like there's so many, they always have a full lineup. Like Honey Love, always full. No Homo, always full. Test, I, I don't, uh, Hear Me Roar, I think is her one. Like, oh, it's, um, yeah, I know that is, yes. Make, make, oh, is it make a noise or something like that? Make a yeah. noise, that's it. Make a noise, that's make noise yes. Full lineup. Like, so you can't, brown pride that i did with ed rivera full lineup of just brown people like so this whole thing of like we can't find the quota it's like real like really or have you just not looked hard enough or like do you do what i do which is which is my fault but like you just kind of go to the same open mics you know or like have you like i've tried to go to like different open mics but some of it for convenience and some of it for like um familiarity i just go to these the same line um the same open mics but it's just like I feel like there's too many funny comedians out there that hit all the quotas for for it to like not just be like you know um they're they're funny not like oh she's funny for a female or oh they're <laughs> funny cuz they're mexican like it's just they're just funny people you know so no offense but I think the whole it's really hard to find diversity is a bit bullshit in my in my humble i've never produced a comedy show opinion yeah oh yeah i know we wouldn't disagree with that it's just there is a disconnect somewhere and it's the question is where is the disconnect and uh, maybe it's maybe it's safety like maybe it's safety maybe it's location like uh, like i don't know there there's all these different facts like i've i'm not as active in the comedy world to know what it takes to produce a show but like i think uh i think safety is probably the number one thing. Yeah, I think trust as well. Do you trust that producer to do the right thing? You had a personal experience where someone said, take your shirt off, and you saw nobody do anything about it. Your trust is shot yeah. in every aspect of the gig, the venue, the producer. You know, it's shot yeah. at that point, right? Exactly. There was, um, there was actually a reason. My second really bad experience was um, 
uh, I mean, so many, so many factors played into it. I, as much as I do love drinking, I've noticed that like, if I know I'm going to be performing, like I don't drink beforehand, I might have one drink maybe, but I try not to drink beforehand. Um, Cause I just know that like, I talk too much, right? Like I talk too much. Yeah. Yeah. And so this one in particular, like I had (laughs) this situation in particular, I had just come from a really, really awful date and I was in the city and it was just such a bad day. It was such a bad day. And I just remember being like, oh, fuck, like, I want to have a good time. And I remember, like, I was already in the city, so I might as well go to this open mic. The MC, and, you know, had a couple of drinks. And the MC was just like, hey, you know, do you want to perform? And I was like, I have one joke that I'm thinking about. I was like, yeah, yeah, go up, go up and do it, which was great. And then I went up, I performed, I did poorly, like, had some things, like, talked to the MC. I had the light turn on me the light turn on me and I like I don't know what the light is like I've never had a light turn on I don't know what the fuck the light is and I'm just like who the fuck and like me drunk New Yorker was just like who the fuck is putting this flashing light get fucked like just whatever (laughs) and the MC explained to me the thing and I was like cool the side comedian who I was just like why are you in this conversation but like he was kind of like a, like a, like verbally attacking me and I was just like and whatever we were all drinking and it was like quite it got toxic very quick and I was just like fuck did I do something so terribly wrong for going past the fucking light like it was just like it was such a new and I know it was because of the alcohol where everything's very amplified and I was just like like I wasn't even gonna go perform and I remember even telling the MC I was just like I don't even want to go like I said I had to try out one joke Yes, I understood that it was too long, but like, what the fuck? And then this person who's like not even in the conversation was just fucking butting in. And I was just like, and because I felt attacked, I was just like, what, like, fuck, like this is, and I felt very unsafe and very like, just, just bad. And if it wasn't for the MC who was just like, who told him to stop talking and was thoroughly trying to make sure that I was okay. Like, you know, I went to the bathroom, I cried my eyes out. He was just like, are you okay? Like, you know, let's just try to have a good time. And, and he was, he was really nice. And he explained everything and we were fine. And the other comedian was just like to the MC, like, let's just go, let's just go. And the MC was just like, no, I'm not going to leave her alone. Like, clearly she's upset. Like, I'm going to just stay with her. And he even told me, he was like, Hey, do you want to go home right now? Or do you want to come drinking with us? Like, I'll, I'll shout you the Uber home. Like, just very like, like, we're not going to end this like this, which yeah, was really good. nice. And, and thankfully the other comedian didn't stay because I was like, you could get fucked. I didn't say this <laughs> until the next day, but like, but it was like, that was like a very safe thing. You know, mm. he was just like, listen, yes, this mistake happened, but like, it's not the end of the world. Shit happens. Let's just it's make like, mic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, let's just. This isn't, this isn't the fucking classic, man. Like, this isn't some, like, get fucked. And it was just, it was just really bad. So anyways, long story short, felt very comfortable that the MC was just like, no, I'm going to make sure you're okay, which was, which was the nicest thing ever. And like, I mean, granted, he and I are friends and stuff. I mean, you know, like, we're friends. So I like, so I really did appreciate that. But fast forward, this other comedian who I'm good friends with was emceeing this comedy show. And he reached out to me. He was like, hey, do you want to do this comedy? Like I'm, I'm seeing this comedy show. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, 
I haven't been on since that incident, but like, I'll, I'll do it. Come to find out it was actually said comedian's gig. Like it's his gig, but this other comedian was emceeing it. And so I messaged the MC and I was just like, Hey, is this so-and-so's gig? And he was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, is he going to be there? And he was like, sometimes he shows up. Sometimes he like, he'll show up for a little bit or, you know, whatever the case is. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm not. And then he was just like, okay. Like, um, and then the MC was like, very understanding. He didn't like pry or anything like that. He was like, okay, you're not comfortable with this person. That's totally fine. I'll let you know when I'm doing a comedy show when I know for a fact this person's going to be out of Auckland, like traveling or something. And I was like, sweet, cool. And I, I trust this comedian. Mm. And I was like, great. That's, that's amazing. You know, and that's important. And, and the other thing about this other said comedian is, so I went to the, the girls group chat and I was like, oh, hey, like has anyone had an, a weird interaction with so-and-so? Because they're very, they're all about name and shame. Which is which is important. Like yeah, name yeah, and shame is know. like the biggest thing. Um, which I've found out later on because like, you know, I'll talk to a person like what is it? Uh innocent until proven guilty, right? So like anytime I talk to a person, like, hey, like I'm sure you're a nice guy. But like this group actually they'll say, like, hey, you know, just be careful around so and so or you know, whatever the case is. So I remember asking about, you know, this comedian that can get fucked and He's done it to so many, so many female comedians. I don't know if he's done it to like male comedians, but like definitely female comedians. And it's just kind of like, why? Like one, why has no one said anything? Why is he still around? Mm. Like what the fuck? And it's just kind of like, when you hear these kind of things, I'm like, like, like one of my biggest thing is like, I'm here by myself. Like my family is all in the States. Like God forbid something happened to me. Like, like it's a scary, it's a scary thought. Like, mm. and um, the one thing that really annoys me that people will say is, uh, cause I know that like going out by yourself drinking is like, it's a bit unheard of, especially if you're a female. Um, and so when I like say that I do it, like there's a little bit of like, oh, aren't you worried that something I'm like, of course I'm worried, but like, like I still, how else am I going to social, like, how, how do you socialize in New Zealand? Why, you know? why should you adjust your lifestyle because exactly. of other people's behavior? Um, if it's other people's behavior that is the problem, which obviously it is in this case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so. the weird thing is, I even know who you're talking about. I mean, I don't know about the incident, but I can just tell who you're talking about from what you're saying. And, you know? Yeah. That in That's, itself is fucked up. Exactly. That, like, I don't even have to say the person's name and people will be like, I know who that, I know who it is. Like... That's it. Yeah, that's it now. I appreciate your uh, your brutal honesty in that. And I just hope as a community, whether it's the guild, whether it's promoters, whether it's venues, we can sort this out because yeah. I think it uh, it makes the community a poorer place if we can't get this sorted out, to be quite honest. So, um, but I thought that would be good. We're kind of getting towards the back end of the show now. It's about time we got into having some fun chat about some fun things. And for those of us that are very lucky to be your friend on Facebook, <laughs> we've seen some amazing Tinder-type related screenshots and stories and stuff like that. Um, so you obviously make this a fun part of your life in, in some respects as well and not afraid to share some of your experiences. Um, have you got any kind of funny dating app, Tinder, other platforms, 
Tinder date stroke comedy related um, story? Um, yeah, so I have the ones in New York City are endless. They're hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I had this one in New York City where um, it was like, it was a Saturday, me and this guy matched on, I don't know if it was Tinder or Bumble, I can't remember. So I'm on Tinder, Bumble, Hinge. Um, nice advertising. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but, but it was cool. Like he and I, we were, it was a Saturday. We're both out doing errands, just like calling and messaging and voice noting each other throughout the entire day. And it was really lovely. And um, like toward the evening afternoon, uh, he was just like, um, I was like, oh yeah, I'm hungry. I might go to this bar and have some food. And he was like, oh, like me, me too. Do you want to, do you want to catch up? Like, you know, maybe we can meet at the bar and have a drink and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, sweet. Sounds good. And so we go, and you know how like at bars there, there's seats at the bar and then there's high table. So we're sitting at the high table and um, ordered food, ordered drinks. My food comes out and this guy comes and tries to take my food. And I was just like, what do you, like, what are you fucking doing? And he was like, oh, this is my food. Like, I ordered it. And I was like, no, I ordered it. Like, this is my food. Like, who the fuck are you? And, like, my date had gone to the bathroom. So I'm just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? And then the waitress comes with his food, and we both ordered the same, you know, wings and fries or whatever. He was like, oh, shit. Like, my bad. This is my food. And I was like, why would you think this is yours? He was like, it's on the same tab. I'm like, why is your food on our tab? Like, it was just so strange. And then my date comes and he was like, oh shit, my bad. This is my brother. And I'm <laughs> looking at him like, you brought, you brought your brother to our date? <laughs> and he's like, no, it's just that like, I was hanging out, like my brother was with me the entire day while we were doing these errands. And, you know, he was sitting shotgun every time I was talking to him and just thought he could be like the DD or whatever. And I was like, it was just so confusing, but, and it's just one of those things where the sad part was, even though physically I was more attracted to my date, like, <laughs> like everything else, I was actually more attracted to his brother because his brother was funnier and he was more chill and just more like we ordered, like very similar, like we ordered the same food, we ordered the same drinks. Like it was, it was really cool. And I just remember being like, well, this is awkward because like, I don't like my date. I find my date very boring, but his brother's quite, like, it was just, just a fucking <laughs> awkward situation. And I'm like, who the, f oh, like who brings their brother to a date? A first date at that. And so that That's happened. really weird. That is very yeah. strange. There's no, yeah. um, So I find dating in New Zealand a bit difficult because I find most Kiwi guys are cruisy is the word I'm going to use. They're very cruisy, very content with their life, which is totally fine. But I'm very like ambitious and driven and like, yes, I am where I am, but I want to, I want to go up where these guys are just, just very cruisy. And I, and I understand that there is this fascination with um, meeting somebody from New York city. Like, I'm not going to pretend that that's not exciting because if I were in New York city, and I met a guy from New Zealand, I would be very excited to like know about their country and whatnot. So I do get that. But I remember going on this one day and it was at the Bramble and the guy was from Queenstown or whatever. And he hears that I'm from the Bronx and he just starts rapping, like <laughs> actually rapping. And I remember sitting there being like, oh, 
fuck no. Like, was it the fuck. Fresh Prince theme tune after you said no, about... No, he was just fucking... Just, I don't even know what the hell he was talking about. He was just fucking rapping. I was like, what the actual fuck? And I'm, I have to get pour myself another drink because I'm getting PTSD from these dates, like revealing these dates. <laughs> but um, just, yeah, he started Always like rapping. And then I went to the bathroom to try to hide for 15 minutes. He was still there. And I come out and I sneak to the back and the bar owner, Dan, like sees me hiding in the back. And he was like, all right, I'm going to kick him out. You just stay here. And it was just like, fuck, like for fuck's sake. And then, yeah. But I think my favorite one was I went on a Tinder date and this guy's he, he was actually quite lovely. Went on a Tinder date. And this was when I was actively in doing stand-up. And um we this is at the ding dong. And so like across the street, went to a I think it's called Little Culprit, where we had a couple of drinks. And then I told like he knew I did stand up and I was like, I wasn't gonna invite you to watch me, but like you seem cool. So like why not go and you know, have a good time and whatnot. So I did my stand-up about him, which was hilarious, like just very off the cuff stuff and um, proceeded, like had a great time, like drank till probably about like midnight, 1 a.m. And then following Tuesday back at Ding Dong, like did did our jokes. And then uh, one of the comedians was like, hey, you know, like your date's cool. You're cool. Like we should go out like and keep drinking. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. So like he and I went like the three of us, Maybe another, maybe another comedian went out as well, drinking till like 2, 3 a.m. And then my date was like, wow, like it's fucking Wednesday morning. I'm very hungover for this meeting I have to go to. And I was just like, yeah, that's just a comedian life. Following Tuesday, did the same thing, just out drinking till like 3, 4 a.m. with this, with this comedian and, and my date. And it wasn't until the fourth date where he was just like, I actually can't do this. He was like, you seem like you're a lot of fun, but this is a lot. And I was like, you don't have to come out drinking with me. Like you can, you can go home after the, the comedy show. Like you don't have to stay out. And he was like, yeah, but then I think about it. Like you do it, like you do it a lot. Like you do it every week. And I'm like, I'm just doing it. It just so happened that this month is like what, like I just got off a really big job. Like I'm not working at the moment. I'm trying, I'm really trying hard to do my standup. I don't work on, I also don't work on Wednesday. So I can stay out drinking till 2, 3 a.m. Like if I were working, best believe I'd be home by 10. Like it was just like, but it was just hilarious because now he thinks I'm this girl that drinks till mm. three in the morning. And I'm like, <laughs> that's okay. But yeah. And but funny enough, so I would go to these bars and like have my um like a lot of my standup is about like my dating life and stuff. And there was this one guy that would be at all these shows and I had a crush on him. I was like, Oh, I like you're cute, whatever. But like, he never really actually, like we talked a little bit, but not really. And then finally, like there was this one time where I was like, I just want to go out and like have a night out of drinking and whatnot, like just go to different bars and things. But like, there's not, like aside from Friday and Saturday night in like Ponsonby or Viaduct, there's not actually oh my goodness, bar no. hop, like, you know? And then, and then, so this guy was just like, oh yeah, like I don't work Thursday. Like we can go out and drink and whatnot. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And which I was shocked because then I found out he actually had a huge crush on me. And I asked him, I was like, why, why have you never asked me out before? And he's like, just didn't want to be in your stand-up bit. I just didn't want to be another guy. Like he was like, I've heard all your jokes and like, 
just didn't want to be in your routine. And I was like, huh, because you will. You're going to be in my routine now. So, so yeah. Quality. Yeah. So post lockdown, then, are you working on any projects that are going to kick off again that you can talk about? Or um, So I've been doing a lot of screenwriting for a show that I want to do in New York City. And um, I also just recently met with this um, guy who, uh, man, who works for TVNZ and I pitched him my series idea and then he loved it. He was like, yeah, send me the pilot. Um, we See if we could do it in New Zealand. And I just like, oh. he told me like the requirements for it. And I realized that like my, my pilot series is geared more toward New York City, which would not be financially sustainable for New Zealand. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to make another series for New Zealand. So I'm currently writing those two scripts right now. Um, and then after that, it's just whatever commercial TV show hires me. Freelancers live. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so th- that's my projects coming up. And um, so I'm doing that. And uh, so it's screenwriting some more stand-up comedy, fingers crossed. And then uh, hopefully one of my friends and I have been talking about actually starting up a, a podcast. Um, yeah. So cool. about, about like a kind of like trauma bonding. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So those are like the kind of projects that I'm uh, coming up with. Yeah. Well, I can just like to reassure you that you certainly won't make any money or find any fame through a podcast but um you know let us know when you do it and we'll um, make sure we advertise it on all of our sort of social media and everything yeah no totally I mean I like like it's the podcast is also kind of like my comedy my stand-up comedy where it's like um just kind of doing it as like a hobby like a side project um hobby versus like my career which is what the screenwriting hopefully we'll kick off with yeah so trying to make more healthy habits versus just drinking on a Tuesday till 4 (laughs) a.m yeah yeah so that's that coming back to the shots actually we do need to review our drinks we need to score them before we finish so you've had a Jack, Jack and Coke what would you give that out of 10 I mean it's a simple drink like probably a 7.5 so like yeah and that's mostly for effect rather than or impact rather than creativity yeah like because if I were if I had my gin I would have done a I finished my gin uh the photo I sent you guys earlier was the last of my gin which I was like I should have saved it for this so if it was a gin or a mojito that's my uh that's my go-to yeah. I have got a Heyman's pink gin actually in the cupboard, which I haven't opened yet. Trying not to open it too soon. Um, how about you, Darren? What would you give your car bomb? Oh, car bomb, I definitely it's an 8.5. I'm quite well known around my team at work for being the shots guy that just keeps coming up with these wild and wonderful shots. Um, whenever we go out, it's it's some weird and wonderful money shot or Snickers or Cowboys or something like that. So yeah. um so I'd give it about an 8.5 to 9 because it's new as well. So it's still quite 
you know, I've only discovered this about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So if we go to Bramble, I will shout you guys one of these so we can uh, all collectively give it some judge. Nice. Oh, you can, you can definitely get car bombs in the Bramble. I guarantee it. And how about you, Matt? What about your? Drink? I would give I would give the um, Slonia whiskey. I would give that a seven and a half out of ten because it's a bit sweeter than I expected, which is disappointing. It's not as smoky as I wanted, but it's still it's a really good quality whiskey. Um, I, you know, a normal a person who likes sweet whiskies would give this a ten out of ten. To be honest, um, the uh, the Cote de Rhone French uh, grape that I'm drinking, which is just um, it's not a reserve or anything, I'd give that a solid eight out of ten, just for being exactly what I expected and very good at it. Nice. Yes. I had some Haku vodka as well. That's actually really good. Japanese vodka. That's definitely an 8 out of 10. Not quite as good as probably Grey Goose or... Um, oh, God, what's the one that starts with B? Completely forgot the name of it. But not as good as probably those. Um, and maybe even um, Ciroc. But definitely a decent vodka. To be honest, when it comes to vodka, ever since I was introduced to Estonian uh, vodka, I can't look at any other. They Estonian have vodka. Yeah, and it's like it's just oil, a little bit oily. Like it's very different to yeah. other vodkas. I've never had one quite the same. Yeah, so I feel like I'm probably never going to get hold of Estonian vodka at a reasonable price in New Zealand. No, Belvedere was the one I was trying to think of. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Ciroc, Belvedere, or Grey Goose would be a go-to, but Haku definitely worth a try. Cool. Well, we'll put links to all of the of all of the alcohol we talked about in the show notes. And we'll also put a link to uh, Rookie's um, Tinder profile. So you can go stalk her. Um, yes. She's a weird person if you're listening to this. Yeah. We won't really. Um, and your IM, we'll put a link to your IMDB profile if that's okay. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. And um, my Instagram, if you guys want to follow it, is yes. a Rookie's Life, which is A R U K Y Z L I F E. Yeah. Cool. I'm pretty sure I follow you on Instagram already. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Excellent. Um, nice one. Well, thank you, Rookie. Really enjoyed your company and listening to your stories. Mm. And same, um, same. looking forward to what projects are coming up next and also our uh, post lockdown shots. Yes, at the Bramble. Yeah. At the Bramble. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's going to be cool. Yeah.